So you basically generate and, and develop this conviction that you want to solve this problem. Uh, you want your organization to rally about solving that problem. And because you stay high enough, you don't get kind of demotivated by the potential challenges. And if you do that, and they basically, you know, make your employees, your coworkers, your, your team members think the same way and kind of cascade that down into the organization, then you're, you're never thinking about the challenge. You're never thinking about why this cannot be done. You're always thinking about, we're going to do this and let's figure out a way to do it. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. I am so excited for today's show. With us today, we have somebody who I consider a dear friend, a mentor. I've had the luxury of working alongside him, and his name is Javier Villamizar. He's currently an operating partner at SoftBank Investment Advisors, and is in charge of helping SoftBank Vision Fund's portfolio companies scale up and expand globally. And previously, he was a managing director at the UK fintech Unicorn Greensill Capital, where he was responsible for the technology and telecom verticals, as well as the management of the origination efforts in Latin America. And before Greensill, Javier was the president of global distribution for Brightstar, a multi-billion dollar supply chain services supplier focused in the telecom industry. Javier has extensive experience in technology and telecom ventures, being an advisor and board member of multiple companies. Welcome Javier to the Career Meets World podcast. I'm so excited to have you on this morning and really chat about your journey through life, your experiences, everything going on with the world today and how that's kind of impacting what you're seeing in the venture capital landscape. And before we even dive in, first and foremost, how's your family? How's life in Miami right now? Um, first of all, thank you for inviting me. This is, this is great. Uh, this is fun uh, thing to do uh, in the middle of this coming out of the lockdown period. Um, I'm in Miami. Um, honestly, I have been secluded at home for the last, uh, I would say, already nine, uh, six months. Um, I used to travel a lot. I think last year I was probably maybe 200, 215 days uh, outside of my house, traveling in different places of the world. So um, the six months that I have been here in my office, uh, working from home uh, and, and really um, kind of, a, you know, on, on this situation where we do social distancing and, and we obviously have the opportunity to spend more time with the family uh, is, is, is great. Uh, feel good. Um, seeing uh, signs of recovery, seeing signs of uh, people kind of being more conscious about what needs to be done in order to avoid a new wave of, 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 of lockdown. Uh, so, so I'm happy. I'm, I'm really in, in good spirits. Good. Uh, I've always known you in the short period of time. We've gotten to know each other to always be in good spirits and be optimistic and look at 
all the things that will progress and innovate and continue to evolve over time. And I think many people would be interested in how life is like at SoftBank right now, but we'll put that on hold for a second because I really want our audience to understand your background, your upbringing, what you've gone through to garner all of this experience that has helped you become who you are today and the position that you're in. And with that being said, I know that you obviously were born and raised in Colombia, and that provides a unique experience and lens of the world. You obviously had done so much there, starting a couple of different comp companies, and you obviously started in the world of engineering, and that's kind of your background there. And walk us through a little bit about kind of your early days, kind of life in Colombia, what that was like, what, uh, what that gives you today, especially. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, was born in Colombia, uh, I would say a medium-sized country in, in South America that, uh, when I was growing up, I was going through tough times, uh, as, as we all know, you know, Colombia had, you know, kind of an internal civil war for many years and we have guerrillas and then we have obviously drug trafficking as a, you know, a, a prevalent situation in the country for, for, uh, many decades so um, I was lucky I was born in a in a family where education was kind of number one priority both my mom and my dad are educators or teachers uh, and they they told you know um, my siblings and my, myself that that you know that, that the most important asset that they will inherit to us would be a good education and that's what they did. They they really push us hard to um, to understand the value of you know uh, learning and and learning not only in school but learning on everything that we do. Um, so I grew up there. Um, I I went to uh, to primary school to elementary school very very young. Uh, I would probably will be categorized as a, as a hyperactive or ADD kid today. In my time, that, that name or that category didn't really exist. But it was, it was basically the fact that I was super active at home when I was three, four years old. And my mom basically told my dad, uh, we need to figure out what activity, you know, give him because he's, he's driving me crazy. Uh, my dad used to be a teacher in a, a college and a school, and he decided to take me basically to the school and drop me at the kindergarten uh, room uh, just to keep me busy. Uh, you know, three months down the road of doing that, uh, the kindergarten teacher basically told my dad that I was doing pretty good and I was doing actually better than the rest of the class. And I was like a year, year and a half younger than everybody else. So uh, they agreed that I will just continue uh, there. So uh, I was able to finish basically my high school when I was 15 years old. That, that was amazing. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to uh, kind of take time to understand what my calling was regarding, you know, going into college. Uh, I was always interested on, on, engineering things i was always interested on on how things work and i kind of i was uh, asking everybody about you know how electronic things work and how mechanical things work and so so that kind of put me on, on a path uh for engineering um uh, and that's what i did and at the same time i was i was also very curious and very entrepreneurial so i wasn't really inspired by finding something to make money. I was more inspired uh, on, on building something. Uh, I was always looking at e even, even toys uh, for me uh, had to be connected with building, you know, mechanos and Legos and even, you know, little electronic kits and things like that. It was, it was always about building. Uh, I got very interested in software when I was uh, in high school and I learned how to program. And that was another way of kind of like developing that building, you know, uh, kind of uh, thing that I had, that attraction that I had. 
I appreciate you sharing that. And it kind of resonates with my own childhood. To be very honest with you, I had every Lego set, every Connect set. Uh, my parents' form of entertainment for me was buying me math software games rather than actual Nintendo games. But again, we credit our families for giving us so many opportunities and instilling that level of thinking that's imperative to be successful and to be a critical thinker. Because I think ultimately that's what I'm trying to convey to a lot of listeners in the audience at Career Meets World is that if we develop that critical thinking, then you're ultimately going to be able to break down any problem. And I think that's what your childhood afforded you. You obviously graduated high school relatively early, at least compared to what's traditional in the United States. And you set forth on your journey. You started a couple of different software companies. And what was that like? What was that experience like to be so young, be hungry to really want to bring value to the world through the form of software? What was that experience like? And what do you think you took away from it? So, yeah, I, I, as I said, I, I, I learned how to program. I learned, I learned how to write code. And, and I said, you know what, uh, maybe I can make some money with this. And, and, and people kind of uh, learned that I was doing that. And then I had friends of my parents that, uh, you know, wanted to, you know, bring some kind of basic software solution for their medical practice or their, you know, accounting practice and things like that. So I became that kid that helped them to kind of navigate the world of, of computers and systems and, 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 and platforms. And, and I, I did that through my, my college time. I, I went to university and I studied um, electronics engineering. Uh, and, and it was kind of a, a way also to, to, to obviously sustain myself, help, help with paying for college. Uh, but it was, again, going back to those roots about building things uh, and about operating things and about uh, kind of finding the pieces that need to be put together in order to deliver a service or, or a product. And, and, and for me, that was, that was super important. That was very important, not only going to college and receive a lot of content and information and 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 you know math and physics and uh, all, all kind of different subjects but having you know also the time in parallel to that to kind of put some of those uh, ideas and concepts and and, and knowledge uh, into action into into building stuff uh, that really gives me a, a good perspective. And I, I, I feel very proud and at the same time, very honored that I, 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 I was able to do that. You know, I, I look at, at, at the students, uh, college students today that, you know, spent four years basically uh, concentrated on absorbing all the information that is presented to them, but they, they have no real life kind of exposure. And, and there is always a disconnect in between, you know, the, 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 the life uh, when you are a student and what happens uh, out there. So I was actually planning on asking you this question. You fed into it quite well, which is your experience, obviously, as an engineer building out companies early on, you had that practical experience. And I truthfully think a lot of universities and colleges in the U.S., don't necessarily provide that. And as the world shifts right now, and as a lot of things migrate to the internet, and there's a lot of education technology out there right now, what's your outlook? What's your recommendation to a lot of people who are early in their career, maybe even considering college, post-college, grad school? Do you still think there's true value in that type of education, or is it shifting a little bit? I have a little bit of mixed feelings on that. Um, I'm a big believer that it's all about your mental framework. It's all about what you're thinking about extracting from that education. And, and, and I tell you, I, I, I went to college for five years. I can tell you that probably 60% of the content that I got 
uh, it's, it's a good kind of landscape in my life. It's great to know things. Uh, it's, it's kind of an ocean of knowledge around you. But I would say only 40% of the stuff that I learned uh, was, was really important, you know, going forward. But that's, that's related to the content. But when you think about the thinking, the, the approach to problem solving, the approach to tackle, you know, real life situations, I, I think that is what you should be able to extract from higher education. So either, either at a college or either at, you know, taking online classes in Coursera or any of those, you know, Udemy or any of those platforms, uh, I think you can build both things. You can build enough content and knowledge that allows you to obviously progress in your life and, and, and build things. But that, that mindset, that problem solving, that framework of how to tackle issues and problems, that's very difficult really to, to gain just by sitting in front of a computer or a teacher, just you know, being fed with information and content. And, and this is where, you know, I, I have this situation with my kids today. Again, I have senior high school kids that are in the process of deciding, you know, what to do with their lives and what college to go to. Uh, my message is, you know, don't look at the content. Don't look specifically at the subject, you know, that you're going you're gonna, to uh, kind of concentrate on. Think more on finding a space, uh, an institution, you know, could be online, could be offline. It doesn't really matter. But, but that is going to provide you an environment that is going to foster that uh, problem-solving uh, mindset. Exactly. And especially as the world transitions, we're going to need even more problem solvers to innovate and create new companies and find different solutions that are either more efficient, more affordable, uh, more local potentially, right? There's, there's so many politics involved now and, and different commercialization of products as well. So there's so many lenses to think through it, but it's imperative to develop that critical thinking and I think engineering probably afforded that for the both of us. I would argue that internships are so valuable, especially now. And again, there's so many ways of finding internships online. So if you're listening and you're thinking about how do I progress and how do I get this knowledge and experience, just be open to opportunities. That's what I always say is there's so many things that we can take on right now and try and experience. And there's an easier path to networking. And Javier, I look at you as somebody who is an expert at networking and an expert collaborator because myself that, but. <laughs> well, it's the title we'll at least give you for today. So on that note, I know that you've obviously spent a lot of time in the telecom industry uh, and that's what ultimately like connected the dots for you to get to where you are today. But again, if we focus on this concept of networking, which often seems very nebulous for a lot of people, how do I do it? What's the right way? Uh, to me, it always felt like an art form, but I want to hear it through your lens and what really helped you become a good networker. Because again, similar to me, being an engineer, you would have this associated stereotype that engineers might not be able to talk to people broadly or be able to connect the dots in the right way and look at things holistically, but I feel like that's quite the opposite. So I'd love to hear from you, what's a good form of networking that's worked for you? Uh, and what are some of your recommendations to really connect with more people? Sure. Um, I, I put a lot of weight on one specific, you know, personality trait um, that really helps with networking, uh, at least in my case, and I think is is curiosity. I I think that ability and that I don't know if it's a skill or whatever, but it's it's, it's that um, you, know, you you might be you might have fear, you might be a shy person, but 
if you can a little bit kind of get out of that, you know, environment and, and that internal kind of limitation of, of reaching out to other people, just because you have curiosity to learn, to ask a question, I think that allows you to connect. I think people that is, you know, intellectually brilliant, that they know a lot of stuff, um, they tend to try to transmit that information. They try to connect with other people by precisely kind of broadcasting the knowledge that they, they have. And that, in my experience, creates a little bit of a, of a barrier when you try to network and connect with people. When you are a curious you know, human being, when you are very interested genuinely on understanding, as I said, how things in the, in the world work, or, or, or you're interested on you know, the, the, the feelings or, or the, the thinking of another person, uh, and you start asking questions, uh, that creates an environment for connection. Uh, you reach out to people not to ask a favor. You reach out to people not to make your point across or share your knowledge. You reach out to people to kind of understand their point of view, uh, get help on a specific question that you want to solve. Uh, I think in, in my experience, in the majority of the cases, uh, people is very um, responsive to that. And once you get that, once you make that person feel that they are able to share stuff with you uh, that is relevant, um, I think that just connects, you know, connects you with that person in in a in a in, in an interchange that that is what we call all network, you know. So it's like you build these friendships or you build these connections. Um, I think I think people. Uh, sometimes are afraid uh, of reaching out and ask a question just because, you know, this person is very important. This person is uh, very successful. This person is, you know, three levels on top of me in my organization. Uh, I learned a long time that that's not, that, that's something that you shouldn't, you know, be worried about. I think, you know, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to, you know, uh, you know, show your curiosity to people and, and, and try to, you know, get help. Hey there, listeners. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that as a part of Career Meets World, I am now taking on exclusive one-on-one clients who are hungry leaders or entrepreneurs and want to learn how to succeed under immense pressure. I believe that being an effective business leader is equal parts understanding your subconscious and developing and executing a personalized growth plan. These two aspects continually build upon each other, and my coaching practice is designed to amplify your confidence levels and provide you a toolkit to thrive in any situation. Career Meets World is the ultimate achievement partner, and we support our clients with an always-on approach. So if you're ready to unleash your wildest leadership potential and take control of your success, Find Career Meets World or me personally, Edward Gorbis, on LinkedIn and shoot me a short message about your goals with the title, Let's Start. And now it's time to get back to today's episode. Javier, I couldn't agree with you more. It's just that deep curiosity that creates an atmosphere and an environment for you to ask questions and I think for a lot of people, and truthfully, I experienced this myself, similar to what you just mentioned. At, at one point, you might have an, an element of fear or an element of doubt that somebody might respond to you or they're above you and you're giving them the respect that they might want or deserve. But at the same time, you literally lose nothing by asking and approaching them. And like you said, the right person that you want to connect with and truly build a deep relationship with will actually want to spend time with you. So the people that don't respond, maybe they're too busy, maybe they're not the right person, move forward. But the best way to learn and what I encourage people to do is 
outside of like the weather and the news uh, that can be Googled, when you have a question, you want to learn something, seek out people to learn from rather than just going on the internet and staring into the abyss of social media to try to gather that information, but connect with people and build that over time. And I think once you have this arsenal of people in your network, it's going to create so many new opportunities for you in the future. And to be very frank and like just clear with the audience, I think through our connection and building this relationship, you've created new opportunities for me and connected me with new people. And you're doing this for so many others because you've inherited this Rolodex of incredible people that you've met throughout your life and you're continuing to meet. And networking never stops. It's not an activity that you do in high school, in college, right out of college, at conferences. It is a lifelong thing. And I fundamentally believe in passing it forward as well. There's something so valuable, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but there's something so valuable in connecting other people. So being the glue or the foundation to a new relationship, because it really cements that they, that you were the one that was the one who like truly connected them. And they'll never forget that. I, I, I agree with you 200%. And, and I think one of the of the events that give me, you know, higher satisfaction in life is precisely that is, is connecting dots is connecting people is trying to, you know, identify the synergies or these, you know, potential collaborations in between somebody that I met, you know, 20 years ago when I was in college or with somebody that I just met yesterday because he's an entrepreneur and he is developing a new platform, a new company, a new idea. And, 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 you know, putting them together and say, guys, you know, you don't know each other. You know, you both know me. I know that you have A. I know this other person have B. I think there is a, an opportunity to, 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 to make something bigger out of this. And I think that's, that's absolutely uh, great. And that's, that's really creating value out of your network, you know, uh, because networking is not, so sometimes it's confused with being being social, you know. Uh, I have friends of mine that are, you know, social butterflies and they know everybody and they are in every party convention. And 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 sometimes I see how effective they could be, for example, at creating those bridges and those connections and those synergies. And they are not necessarily good at that because their connections, their network comes from Again, social events, social connections. Um, that is, there is nothing wrong with sourcing, you know, uh, network from that. But at the end, there has to be some substance to those connections. Exactly, and I, I think if we take that level deeper and look at it at a biological level, those types of individuals, the influencers, the ones who really thrive and harbor energy from being in that social atmosphere often do it purely to gather energy and feel better. And obviously that's what fuels them. For us, I think it's really about making those connections, but the energy comes from connecting people together. Correct. Yeah, it, com it comes from accomplishing that. Again, it goes back and, and it sounds repetitive, but it sounds back to that idea of we like building things. And, and building could be, you know, building a bridge in between two people, it could be building a platform or a software solution or a company. But is, is that building, as you said, what, you know, pumps up and, and, and gives us the energy that, that we need in a, in a daily basis? Exactly. So if we use that as the launch pad to where I really want to get to the meat of the conversation and learn about where you are today, how you got to this point, I know working in the telecom industry, you were able to meet a gentleman who now is doing so much at SoftBank. He is the new chairman of WeWork as well, Marcelo Claré. And the way that both of you met and where it's provided you these opportunities after that moment is so interesting and fascinating. And at least from my point of view, it looks like this inflection point in your career that you connected and you met. And I think when it, when we talk about networking, that's a really good moment to expand upon. So can we think about that specific moment and really your experience working in venture capital and obviously transitioning over to Brightstar 
can we zoom in on that and talk a little bit about what that was like and ultimately what meeting Marcelo was like? Sure, sure, absolutely. It's, 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 it's a great story. Again, I, 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 I'm, you know, very grateful for, for things that have happened in my life. And, and you know, when I, when I reflect on decisions that I made and also believe that uh, kind of confirm that I was doing the right thing because I was able to get into, you know, uh, situations like meeting Marcelo that if I had made a, a different decision in the past probably would have never happened. So uh, just I, I finished my, my, my college. I, I had a, a software company. I ended up selling that software company and joining a, a company that uh, brought me to the U.S. Uh, and, and that was something that I always wanted in the sense that I wanted not, not to leave my country because there was anything wrong, but I, I just wanted to go to another place and, and kind of get in closer contact with the things that I was passionate about. So uh, if you're an engineer on electronics and at that time Motorola was kind of the, 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 the number one company in this space with, you know, investments in, in semiconductors and telecom and, and radios and, and satellites and all that. Uh, it was like, you know, the, 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 the perfect place to go for an engineer. So I was, I was uh, tempted with uh, joining the company. And at the same time, I was, um, I was tempted to go and maybe continue my my postgraduate studies and kind of go for a master's in, in engineering and a post uh, and a PhD. And, and, and I, I made that decision. I made the decision that uh, I wanted to get some real life experience maybe before continuing my, um, my education and, and really deciding what to specialize on, you know, uh, I was really worried that, you get out of college and as I said, you have no clue about how the real world works. And then you rush into, you know, getting into a master's degree and then you want to continue and you want to do a PhD and you become so narrowly focused on problems that might be great and might be genuine, but you know, it's, it's, you don't have enough information really to make a decision on that. So I, I made a conscious decision to say, you know what, I want to go, I want to, go to another country, I want to join a company that will still keep me connected to technology and engineering, that is what I like, but it's going to give me some kind of a view of, of, of the real world. And I did that and, uh, you know, time passed, you know, eight years and, and I said, you know what, I'm very happy here, I'm learning every day, I'm switching from one group to the other and it's, this is amazing. Uh, I ended up working on, on a virtual venture capital arm of the company. Uh, and I had the opportunity to meet uh, fantastic entrepreneurs and founders that came, uh, you know, for, for capital. Um, and during that period, um, I, I met Marcelo. Marcelo um, had founded a company uh, that was trying to disrupt the, the logistics and distribution uh, space in, in telecom. And I was incredibly impressed with uh, somebody that was able to show that passion and that conviction for what he was doing. Again, he had that energy and that belief that he was not only taking advantage of a business opportunity, he wanted really to make a change. He really uh, kind of understood the different components of a business again it was finance it was the logistics part it was the consumer side and and he also had that incredible ability to uh, rally people to do things customers and, and and employees so i was i was super impressed um we spent you know hours talking about his business i gave him my perspective i gave him uh ideas you know, based on my limited experience, because you know, I was a guy that got out of college, you know, sold a company, you know, joined a, an American company and have been, you know, seeing businesses and learning for years, but uh, I was no expert on any subject matter. Uh, and we connected, connected in the personal level, connected on, on, on that kind of exercise of asking him and, and trying to extract 
you know, value from, from the time that we spent together. And then a few, a few months later, he, he um, asked me to join his company and help him with strategy and, and business development. And, and that was the beginning of an amazing journey, uh, helping him build the company, uh, expand the company into 30 plus countries around the world, uh, you know, really kind of taking a concept and evolving it, you know, because when you're in technology, concepts are not, you know, still, you, you have to evolve because technology moves. So, you know, 20 something years ago, we were talking about mobile phones, but the mobile phones of 20 years ago are very different from the mobile phones that we have today. When we, when we were, uh, you know, at the early years in Brightstar, we were paid to download software into mobile phones. So big manufacturers like the Motorola's and the Nokia's and the Ericsson's will pay us two, three, four dollars to download a splash screen into a phone. And, and that was a business and it was fantastic, you know? And then, you know, 10 years later, uh, basically phones are small, you know, mobile computers. Uh, they don't need that. Again, you don't, you don't need somebody to actually do that. They have operating systems that are able to kind of customize themselves. So, so the business was evolving and, and things that would allow you, uh, will allow us to, to make money uh, because of how technology was, you know, five years later, they didn't exist. So, so I, I was able to um, kind of continue my, my journey into uh, learning how to build things, uh, being connected to technology and evolution of technology. And at the same time, again, learning from somebody that has this amazing ability to make things happen. You know, I think if, if, I, if I have to highlight um, the, the most important thing that I learned from Marcelo was that ability to stay, when you're solving a problem, stay high enough um, without getting into the details. So you... Um, you don't see the obstacles. So you basically generate and, and develop this conviction that you want to solve this problem. Uh, you want your organization to rally about solving that problem. And because you stay high enough, you don't get kind of demotivated by the potential challenges. And we, you do that, and they basically, you know, make your employees, your coworkers, your, your team members think the same way and kind of cascade that down into the organization. Then you're, you're never thinking about the challenge. You're never thinking about why this cannot be done. You're always thinking about, we're going to do this and let's figure out a way to do it. And, and that let's say, um, almost conscious uh, way of ignoring certain details is so important when you kind of escalate in an organization. It's, it's just, just simply not, you know, staying in, in that problem-solving mode where you're looking at 20 things that are against you to solve the problem. But, but really thinking, this is what I want to solve and let's figure out ways to get there. Speaking of providing value, I think you just dropped more value uh, than many people can swallow and process. But if we think through a moment ago, we talked about networking and the value of building deep relationships. You brought up the initial story of when you met Marcelo and is predicated on the fact that you simply wanted to connect Maybe you didn't have this deep confidence that Marcelo would see you as somebody who would be a good partner that he'd bring in down the road. But for you, it was just being genuine. It was being human. It was leveraging that problem solving, that critical thinking that you developed early in your childhood that's so valuable to where it brought you today. All of these things, all these individualized moments that you had throughout your life brought you to that moment and created this opportunity and you went on to pursue this awesome career at Brightstar. And Brightstar obviously was bought out by SoftBank down the road, which is where you are today. But 
I think, again, it's so important to remember the value that these long-term relationships have. You might meet somebody in college, in high school, and you can reconnect with them in 15 years. As long as you treated them with respect in that moment, they'll remember that and it'll create so much value down the road. And I can't stress enough that it's so fun to watch you do these things over and over and over again and connect so many different people. And I think as you embarked on that journey with Marcelo, and obviously he's a phenomenal leader, he's so humble, he cares about people, but he is very much visionary and he does things with conviction because a lot of the times individuals, especially early in their career, might look at everything at work as being this colossal problem, or they look at everything through a microscope and dissect it. So through all of your experience, what would be your recommendation to a lot of people who sometimes struggle with breaking things down too much and losing sight of the true goal? How do you break through that mindset or help yourself develop it? I think that, um, and again, this is, this is my, my learning from precisely those years, you know, working closely with Marcelo at Brightster and, and then, you know, a few, years, a few years later, reconnecting with him at, at SoftBank. Um, I, th- I think the, the approach that, that I, I use and, 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 and what I suggest, you know, people in my team when, when they face the, that situation is, first of all, focus on one problem and one problem at a time. Uh, the same thing that I tell entrepreneurs, focus, focus on one business model, focus on one offering. You know, there is nothing worse than uh, people that is trying to believe that because our brain is so powerful that we can, you know, uh, kind of massively parallel solve multiple things. That, that's unfortunately not, not, not the case, at least that's not my experience. So uh, I, I suggest that um, people look at one problem stay as high as possible in the sense that you don't go into the minutiae, the little details, and you kind of, yeah, break down the problem in different activities and different challenges and different things that need to happen. But, you know, don't, don't go deeper than one or two levels, you know, below, below that, that big problem that you're trying to solve, that big uh, initiative you're, you're trying to drive. Uh, and then make sure that you spend your time on things that directly affect that outcome that you want, into, that you want to achieve. Because this is another, another pitfall when you're breaking a problem into multiple things and you, you, you kind of overbreak it is that now you start spending time, uh, you know, exaggerate amount of time on things that might not be as important to actually solve that problem. And, and, and it's just, it's, I think it's human design that is, is for us difficult to kind of prioritize. But when you have like 20 pieces, I was like, there is no kind of a, an algorithm that, allows you to decide uh, these three are the, really the key ones and these other ones are, are not and I should put more time here. I, I, I use a, 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 a mental model uh, when I'm trying to explain this and is uh, and again, it might be the way that I do it, but um, I like puzzles, for example, uh, and, and just simple jigsaw puzzles, for example, are are, are, are very interesting, uh, you know, problems to solve. Uh, if you get a box with a thousand pieces uh, and you try to put the puzzle together, uh, technically you should give every piece in that jigsaw puzzle the same priority and you should think about every piece. Uh, but then you realize that it would be impossible to actually build it if you're just looking at a thousand pieces and trying to connect them. So 
I, and I, I think I didn't invent anything that, that uh, you know, a lot of people use it. But the, the first thing that you try to do when you, you get that jigsaw puzzle is try to find those pieces that have like a straight, you know, component because you know they belong to the edge. So you immediately generate in your mind intuitively an, an algorithm, a prioritization, you know, process to decide where to focus first, you know? Uh, so this is, the, and then once you get the edges, you know, kind of built, then, then you start solving the next layer. You start looking at colors, you start looking at patches. So that, that would be my, my advice uh, for people kind of, you have a big problem, you have a thousand pieces, you can break it into all this. There are going to be a couple of things, a couple of areas that if you devote enough energy at the beginning, they will give you that edge of the puzzle that will frame the rest of the challenges in an easier way to tackle. Such a powerful analogy. And it provides you that clarity and recognition that unless you build the framework or another analogy I like to use as a former civil engineer, that if you don't pour the foundation, you can't build the rest of the building. It just doesn't work that way. So focus on a few things, get clarity on the bigger picture, understand maybe different groupings or components that go together. And then over time, as you continue to invest more energy and do this moment by moment, you'll see the bigger picture and it all truly comes together. And that's how you finish a jigsaw puzzle. So I love that analogy. Thank you for sharing that with us. And really lastly, I wanted to more focus on today and the present and the now, because there's a lot going on. This pandemic has thrown everyone in a whirlwind over the last six months. I think it changes quite literally every hour what's going on and the amount of information that we're getting. And now that you're at SoftBank and you have this interesting lens to partner with so many different of your portfolio companies and really help them both navigate this turbulent time as well as plan for the future. What are you sharing with so many of these companies in terms of how to think about the future? And the reason I ask is because I fundamentally think that there's a true parallel to how an individual could look at the future as well in terms of planning their finances, what they wanna invest in, where they wanna spend time. So I'd love to hear what you're sharing with companies and we can extract that to how individuals might wanna look at the future. Sure, um, I think, I was telling this actually to my kids the other day, I think we have to recognize that we're really fortunate, you know, um, because we're living through this pandemic. And we're fortunate in the sense that it is a huge global crisis. It's gonna impact economies and people and governments and, you know, um, not to the extent and in a different way that, you know, Second World War or the Big Depression or anything like that. But, you know, in a sense that we have an event that, yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, you can go to the videos from Bill Gates from 10 years ago and from Barack Obama and all this that a lot of people kind of thought that was going to happen and we should have been prepared. But realistically, you know, uh, it was one of those events that nobody could have forecasted. Uh, nobody, you know, January 1st, 2020 would bet a dollar on, on, on that, would, you know, the, the, the fact that we were going to be living through this. So, so, so the learnings from, you know, being in this situation uh, is something that everybody has to, you know, interiorize and, and, and really kind of uh, leverage. Uh, for me, it is, it is very clear that the most important learning on, on having to live through this is, is really that we live and we plan and we kind of uh, manage our lives uh, considering that uncertainty, uncertainty in many aspects of our lives, 
is present. It is, it, it is, it is a major component of everything that is happening. And that's not necessarily easy for a lot of people because, you know, you, you, when you have, you know, your employment, when you have your house, when you have your family, when you have your, your environment kind of working in place, you forget about uncertainty. You kind of remove that concern from your day to day. What we're learning today is that we're living in a world where uncertainty is a major component. Uh, we don't know if there is going to be a vaccine that is going to be effective and is going to be safe in three months or six or nine or a year. We don't know if the vaccine might work and then a year later we have a new strain of the virus and then we're back to square zero. You know, we know that uh, you know, a situation like we're living today, we're, we're, we're fighting against a, a molecule of, you know, RNA. It's, it's not even a, an, an smart individual that is trying to hurt us. It's, it's, it's actually a, a chemical compound that has evolved into becoming this serious threat to the human race. So how, how are we going to, you know, continue living our lives uh, it's, it's, it's going to be critical that we think about how, how to manage everything that we do in a world where six months down the road, we don't know, you know how is it going to look like. We don't know if it's going to be in a lockdown again. We, we, don't, we don't know that, you know. Uh, so it opens, it opens, uh, you know, people's minds, you know, when, when you start thinking like that, like what changes do I need to make in my life, in my employment, in the way that I approach life, you know, when definitely there is no clarity on how this is going to look like, you know, in January. And, and, you know, I, I, I laugh when people say, oh, next year things are going to get better. Like the concept of next year is something that you know human beings created because you know we we go around the sun every 365 days but the, the rest of the of the of the of the things in the universe uh, honestly don't really care that we're just one one more round around the sun uh so um it is it's really thinking like that it's thinking that you know we're we're not planning for next year or next two years we're planning for Things that are going to happen in the short term that we have mostly most of the information and, and we can actually take some actions. Uh, medium term, you have to start, you know, doing a little bit of scenario planning. And then honestly, long term, you have to keep your plans at a very, very high level. And you, you because, because again, there's so much uncertainty that thinking, you know, three years or four years down the road, honestly, I do believe is, is almost like, like, like a waste of time and effort, you know? Have a vision, have, have a place that you want to get to, have an idea of what you want to achieve and accomplish in three or four years, great. But almost like build a short, medium-term plan with the idea that you're going to be adjusting that curse you know, very often based on the level of uncertainty that is present. Exactly. Uh, so well said. And I always say that it's important to build structure with a lot of flexibility. And each one of those plans requires that. So if you're going down a pathway or road, make sure that there's off ramps on it so you can get on a different road if necessary. And you're right that a calendar is just a figment of everyone's imagination. And it's what we agree to as a society but mother nature, biology does not care about the calendar year. So don't think Jan 1, 2021 is gonna be this catalytic change in the world. We hope humans can gather together and innovate and create new value by providing vaccine or a cure and really enable society to go back to some semblance of normal, but that will take time. So 
I think as we continue to think about that and as it evolves, SoftBank's going to be a key player in that. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing there. It's a, it's a beautiful organization and how Masa has set up the fund and how things are progressing and how he's looking at the world alongside Marcelo, alongside yourself, alongside so many of the other partners. So I appreciate you joining us today. And before we let you off the hook, as we do with all of our guests, we always put them through the hot seat. And I want to ask you a couple of fun, specific, and personalized questions just for you. So, Javier, are you ready? Yes, I am. Please. Let's do this. So, in the spirit of just open canvas, forward thinking, if you were to leave SoftBank today and, and pursue another venture, what industry would you pick and why? Uh, not in my plans at this point, but um, I, I'm very passionate about a couple of things. Um, one, um, I love food. I love wine uh, as a personal you know, um, thing that I enjoy a lot. Uh, and I do believe that the world of food is going gonna, is gonna to be transformed and disrupted uh, over the next few years. And, and we at SoftBank has seen this and, and we have made, you know, a division fund investments, you know, alongside a, an investment thesis related to the future of food consumption. Uh, but I believe there is so much uh, opportunity for innovation on that. And, and it could be on the production, it could be on the supply chain, it could be in the actual delivery. Uh, uh, I, I do believe that something that has a connection in between uh, you know, food, uh, sustainability would be something that I would, I would enjoy a lot. Okay, I like that. And I think sustainability in agriculture is quite ready for more innovation. Uh, it's agriculture ballooned very quickly over the last 100, 150 years. And there's definitely room for improvement. So I like that answer a lot. Uh, I know that obviously you still consume a lot of information and you continuously learn. What are your three favorite books? That's really a very tough question. And it will be the same thing if you ask me my three favorite wines or my three favorite things. <laughs> Um, I obviously read that book many years ago, uh, uh, and, and I really like some of the learnings and, and I have seen that repeating, uh, over time in, in multiple industries. So, um, I remember a book, uh, called crossing the chasm, um, that was, uh, you know, Jeffrey Moore, you know, Moore's Law, you, you know, a guy that was, you know, at the core of, of, of high tech. And, and, and I like that book because show you these industry dynamics on where, you know, in, in, and, and, and his premises are still valid today, where um, in any industry, in any segment, in any sector, it gets to a point that you have to have scale and once you get that scale, uh, and, and is it either one or is it two or is it three of the industry players that can get to that scale, it just makes it impossible for you know, smaller players or, or irrelevant players to actually cross the chasm and kind of you know, get there. But at the same time, you know, disruption and revolution becomes kind of that way to get there. So you can have established players in an industry that are, you know, 800 pound gorillas, but if they miss the boat on a technology revolution or they feel, you know, very cozy and very comfortable in the position, there is a, a little bridge. There is a, that technology revolution that could be AI or data science or whatever becomes that way of, of, of kind of, you know, catching up and, and in some cases, uh, killing, killing the, the, the establishment or the, or the, or the incumbent player. So I like that. Uh, I have been 
reading a lot about bioinformatics recently. I have been reading a lot about genetics. Uh, there is a book that I just finished that I, I loved a lot. Um, it's called Super Genes. It's uh, written by two people that I would not kind of imagine writing a book together many years ago. Uh, one of them is Deepak Chopra. Uh, that I always saw more, even though I know now that he's a doctor, but I always saw more of a spiritual leader and a guy that was more on the, on the world of, you know, meditation and ideas and, and, and a guy called Rudolf Tansy that is a guy that has done and has written, you know, and has won all kind of awards because of his research on Alzheimer's. Um, and, and I have specific kind of, uh, passion for that that disease um, it's probably the thing that I fear the most precisely because I am intellectually active I'd like to be intellectually challenged and I think the most powerful tool that we have is our brain so you know recognizing that there is a disease out there that we still don't really understand uh, that much that could you know, disable our brain, our cognitive functions is something that puzzles me. And so, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on, uh, you know, learning, learning more about that. And, and I kind of, this book has a, a very good, uh, you know, approach and combining, you know, the genetics, the, the, the wellness, the, the meditation, the, the things that are not necessarily, you know, putting chemical po- compounds into your body. Uh, and how they, you know, connect with uh, immune system, aging, longevity, and all that. So I only mentioned two because I've taken so long to give you the answer. But those will be the two that I'm right now believing that I, I, I appreciate the most. But again, I, it's difficult to pick, you know, the best one. I think anything by Deepak Chopra is definitely worth picking up and absorbing as much as you can uh, because there is so much value in how he thinks and how he sees the world. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before we let you off the hook, I know there are a lot of people who might be interested in connecting with you and building that connection and bridge. So what would be the best way for our audience to connect if they're interested? Um, Again, look for me in LinkedIn. I'm there, Javier Villamizar. Uh, not, not, shouldn't be difficult to find. Um, I think that probably will be the easiest one. Uh, I, I have a discipline of actually going into my LinkedIn uh, profile every few days and accepting invitations and responding to messages. Going back to your initial question about networking, uh, the same, I think that you have to behave in the way that you expect others to behave. So uh, uh, I, I am the person that will answer questions and, and, and connections on, on something like LinkedIn because it's a tool that I also have used in the past to actually connect with people and have, have, uh, have been uh, very useful. So uh, I think that would be the easiest one. Great. So if you're interested, connect with Javier on LinkedIn make sure to send him a note of value. And I know he would love to connect with more people and learn and hopefully help you out in the future. So Javier, thank you so much for spending time with us today, sharing your past, your journey and everything that you've gone through to really become this incredible human being that you are. Keep doing amazing things. And as we always say at Career Meets World, go unleash your wildest potential. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I think what you're doing is amazing. I like the idea of, you know, documenting, uh, you know, people's careers and, and, and creating this space where people can see how, you know, unleashing your potential and unleashing your ideas is possible and is, 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 is possible at multiple levels. Uh, so, so great job. What you're doing is amazing. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Javier. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. 
You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.